The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC. Kirk Ferentz has established himself as one of the best coaches in the country, but I think they'll be kicking themselves for burning that last time out when the play that they ran to get the fourth down conversion put them in perfect position for a quick spike after the quarterback sneak. And there goes the trophy, the Heartland trophy, which will stay in Madison for a few years. They snap a two-game losing streak against Iowa. They won't play the next two years, so that trophy will be in Madison for a while. Hello, Hawkeye fans. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the new football show from Hawkeye's Mike. The Iowa-Wisconsin game highlights are courtesy of ABC ESPN with Sean McDonough and Matt Millen. A solid job calling the game. McDonough's a straightforward play-by-play guy, and Millen is a much better commentator than he was an NFL general manager. We very much appreciate it and thank them. These football programs come to you following every game during the entire season and are brought to you in part by Prefens Botanicals Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer the Iowa Hawkeyes use. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group in Coralville, Iowa. Marsh Cook for all your investment needs. And with seven minutes to go, Brett Bielema will punt. And Norman, it's a fake. Great call and great execution. Not a Hawkeye in sight. And Nortman slid down at the 43-yard line. First down for Brett Bielema and the Badgers. 17-yard gain. That is just fantastic. Iowa's been sending just two people to the punt on the outside. The middle has been open. This time they take advantage of it for a huge first down. On this week's show, you'll have the chance to hear Marv Cook's thoughts and the reporter's roundtable segment featuring Hawk Central's Pat Hardy and Hawkeye Insider publisher Rob Howe. You'll hear from the opposing coaches in this coming Saturday's game. Iowa's Kirk Ferentz and Michigan State's Mark D'Antonio will review the Iowa-Wisconsin game and take a look at the Big Ten Conference. We'll also preview the Iowa-Michigan State game. And during the course of the season, we hope to hear from you, the Iowa fans. We invite you to share your comments by calling 866 for Hawks. Okay. Danzy Keats gets the first down. Get back up quick. And that's a good play just to and line up quickly it. and spike it again. Yeah, he's going to clock it. Because they're all right in the same positions, essentially. This is great coaching. What are they doing? Timeout, Iowa. That, why they call it? They were, that does, that's that not great coaching. No sense. That made no sense. No, they, they were, were all positioned set. to spike it. Yeah, exactly. They were all set. The line was set. The receivers were set. They'd have put the ball down, the umpire would have stepped away, he'd have snapped it, and boom, he'd have lost in two seconds. Yeah, that's a big mistake. You know, just when it looked like they had a great situation to spike it, stop it with 10 seconds, perhaps, still have that one timeout in their pocket, throw a pass over the middle, get it a little closer for a field goal, use the timeout. Now, they can't go over the middle of the field. Outcoached, outmuscled, outplayed in one of the biggest Big Ten Conference games so far this year. The Iowa Hawkeyes turned in their most mistake-filled performance, losing the game and the Heartland Trophy to rival Wisconsin 31-30 when they failed to score on the last drive of the game. For the team and its fans, this loss was devastating because the Hawks should have won the game if they would only have eliminated even one of their costly mistakes. Special teams were a disaster, taking four 
four Iowa points off the board while setting up Wisconsin on short fields for easier scores. Special teams failures have been largely responsible for both of Iowa's losses this season. And while the defense came up with several big plays, it also allowed the Badgers to have too many long, time-consuming drives that culminated in touchdowns, including the game winner late in the fourth quarter after a Wisconsin fake punt deep in their own territory caught the Iowa coaches completely off guard. The brightest spot for the Hawks was the offense, at least until the last drive. Quarterback Ricky Stanzi had another outstanding game. Adam Robinson rushed for over 100 yards again, outdueling Wisconsin's highly touted John Clay and James White. Iowa's offensive line was outstanding and really seems to be coming together as this season progresses. Receivers Darrell Johnson Koulianos and Marvin McNutt had good games, both snagging TD passes, and tight end Alan Reisner had a solid performance with several big catches, including one for a touchdown. The last drive saw some of the poorest coaching we've seen by the Iowa staff in quite a while. Questionable calls, bad timeouts, horrendous clock management. Since two-minute drills are supposedly practiced every day, and with a veteran senior quarterback having an outstanding season, you really wonder why Stanzi wasn't handling the decision-making to save time at that point in the game. Worth a try, offensive coordinator Ken O'Keefe showed he's not very good at it. It was a riveting game for fans of both teams with eight lead changes, only one turnover, and only four punts. The outcome wasn't determined until literally the last play of the game. Perhaps most surprising was that it was so high scoring, the closest thing to a shootout between these two teams in recent memory. But that made it even more disappointing for Iowa. The Heartland Trophy will be housed in Madison for at least the next two plus years, but that's the least of the troubles for the Hawks, who are hanging on to Big Ten title hopes by their fingernails. Iowa now prepares for next Saturday's contest against Michigan State at Kinnick Stadium. The Hawks no longer control their own destiny, but if they have any hope at all of winning a conference title, this game is do or die. Well, that's cost rather a gloom over the evening, hasn't it? HawkeyesMike.com. It's sports talk radio on the internet. Just for you, the Iowa fan. All sports, all Hawks, all the time. Last Saturday's loss by Iowa was the first of the season in Kinnick Stadium. The series with Wisconsin remains the Big Ten's tightest, now standing at 42-42-1. The earliest these two teams will face each other again is 2013. Both squads were very productive on offense, third downs, and in the red zone. DJK had five more receptions, including one for a touchdown, to move into a tie for first place on Iowa's career receptions list. He's had five scores in the last three games. He's the career leader in receiving yards, and he's now tied for fourth in TD catches. Quarterback Ricky Stanzi finished the game completing 25 of 37 passes for 258 yards and three touchdowns. Iowa's rushing TD in the first quarter, scored by Adam Robinson, was only the fourth rushing touchdown given up by the Wisconsin defense this season. Tyler Sash led the defense with 13 tackles, his personal high. His partner at safety, Brent Greenwood, had the ninth interception of his career, coming in the fourth quarter against Wisconsin quarterback Scott. Scott Tolzien, who otherwise played an excellent game behind his huge offensive line, and he did it without his two leading receivers. Instant replay was used four times in this game, mostly to Iowa's disadvantage. 
Key stats, first downs, Iowa head 23, Wisconsin 24, net yards rushing, 118 for the Hawks, 142 for Wisconsin, net yards passing, 205 for the Badgers to Iowa's 258. Total offense, 347 yards for Wisconsin, 376 for the Hawks. There were only four punts in this game. There was only one turnover. Possession time was in Wisconsin's favor due to their long, time-consuming drives, 33-12 to Iowa's 26-48. Third down conversions, 6 of 12 for the Badgers, 11 of 16 for Iowa. Wisconsin was 3 of 3 in fourth down conversions, the Hawks 1 of 2. In red zone scoring chances, 5 of 5 for the Badgers, 3 of 4 for the Hawks. There was also only one sack by each team in this game, showing you how well both offensive lines played. First and 10, Stanzi dumps it off. He needs to get out of bounds. Robinson does not. Now they don't have the timeout, and the time is going to run out. Wisconsin wins. Stanzi needed to know that if he got in trouble, he should throw it out of bounds. Mental error and a coaching error, in my opinion, Sean. That was a poor timeout. Totally unnecessary. They positioned to spike it. They could have used the timeout right there when Robinson got tackled in bounds and then take their shot at a field goal of a little bit over 50 yards. Hey, Hawkeyes, Mike. So this is Rob from Fort Collins, Colorado, calling in. I've calmed down a lot, and I've read a bunch of stories, but in reading all the game stories about last Saturday's game, I'm still wondering why no one has talked about the ineptitude of the offensive coaching staff during the spot that was going to be reviewed in the third quarter. O'Keefe called a new play, signaled it to Stanzi. They took their normal time getting lined up. Stanzi was looking around reading the defense, and Bielema got his timeout granted just as the officials were being buzzed for review. In my mind, whoever's up in the booth for the offensive staff should have been an O'Keefe Keith's ear about how the spot was bad and that it was likely to be reviewed, so they would have needed Stanzi to get on the line and snap the ball. And it was basically the difference between a drive ending and a drive continuing in a game where both O-lines were dominating, both teams were consistently driving and scoring and playing a game of possession, essentially. I'd say that's a pretty big moment in the third quarter to let a drive end like that. And there's no excuse in my mind for the people up in the booth to be unaware based on even the first replay that was being shown that the spot was going to be reviewed and moved back. And I think O'Keefe has to take the blame there either way because the play and the spot were literally right in front of him on his sideline. And I, of course, don't know if the booth was saying something to O'Keefe, but he shouldn't look like he was aware of a need for urgency. He looked surprised when the officials blew their whistles, like he didn't know why they were stopping play because the camera was right on him after they blew their whistles. And I'd say that's a potentially really pivotal moment in the third quarter. I know it's a lot to ask, but that's part of that staff's job. They make a hell of a lot more money than most other state employees do to get 100% of those things seen, done, and called down to the field headsets accurately. I'd also say that if anyone was aware the spot could get reviewed, it definitely doesn't seem like we have any sort of urgent or red, quote-unquote, play call for situations like that where O'Keefe and the sideline signalers immediately signal something in the stand that tells them that they need to line up in a basic offensive set and run some sort of basic, like, off-tackle play or a QB sneak or something to get the ball snapped before the officials get the buzz on the field and kill the play. O'Keefe has improved, I'd say, overall, in my opinion, on getting the plays called sooner in the play clock this year as a whole, but he still struggles, and I still don't understand why there are still these issues with this clock and game management after 10 years. That's all. Go Hawks. Third down and three. Play action fake by Stanzi. Thrown short to Brett Morris. He lunged for the 30. Are they going to give him that mark? 
Kevin Claxton made the tackle. Ooh, looked like a pretty generous spot. And they're going to give him the first down. That was a very generous spot. If I'm Iowa, I try to snap this as quick as I can. Well, they should because Reclay could stop it. Yep, and they waited too long. And they're going to have to punt now. That was poor awareness by the Iowa sideline. Following the review, the ball will be placed just over the 29-yard line. Fourth down. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy. <laughs> How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer protects your hands all day. Stays on. Up to 10 washings. Moisturizes. Alcohol-free. And safe for the kids. So go ahead. Touch anything and everything. Ooh, a toilet. Prefins. Keep your hands germ-free all day. Visit prefins.com. Time now to hear from the coaches in this coming Saturday's game. First, Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz talks about Michigan State's propensity for trick plays. They do a good job offensively with, with you know, trick plays, gimmick plays, whatever you want to call them. Uh, so it's, it's not like they just uh, hold them for special teams. Uh, they threw the, the wildcat pass against Michigan, you know, but we saw that on the Michigan tape. So they're, you know, they're, they're playing to win. They're, they're not just throwing stuff out there. It's, it's uh, well-conceived, and they do a good job executing it. And, you know, with all those kind of plays, whether it's offense, defending their offense or special teams, you have to be sound in your responsibility, and you know, it's something we have to be very, very aware of. Ferentz was asked if Michigan State's offense is about as good as he's seen this season. We played Michigan the week after Michigan State had, uh, had played and looked to me like all three of those backs. I asked him if any of those guys could be on loan. Uh, we're not allowed to trade or swap in college, but uh, they've got three backs that could probably be starting for a lot of people. they got three excellent backs. The guys up front do a good job, but they're part of the run game effectiveness is the fact that they can throw the football. They're, you know, they make you defend everything, so yeah, they've got the ability to run the football. Uh, they've got three excellent backs, and you know they throw it, throw it around pretty well too. And they got good skill players and good tight ends. So it's you know it's just a tough team to defend. You know you can't load up on one area. Ferentz talks about Adrian Claiborne and how upset Adrian was in the postgame press conference last Saturday. Well, I think you know he's done a good job, and I think Ricky Stans he's done a good job. But both those guys, I, you know, my concerns with them going into the season, uh, you know, they, they're totally invested, uh, and they have been for quite some time. They were both strong leaders last year, and I worry about both those guys wanting to do too much or feeling like they've got to, you know, if, if we lose, it's their fault, you know, one of those types of deals. And uh, that's a good thing to try to coach out of, I guess. You know, you'd rather have a player feel that way than the other. But, you know, what, what all the, every player needs to do is just, you know, do their job as well as they can and do it with great effort. And that, that's what's made Adrian a good player, and that's why Ricky Stanzi's a good player as well. And, you know, it's just, you know, you can't do too much. But, yeah, I know he was upset, and, uh, you know, we all were. It's tough to lose. It's not much fun. Ferentz discusses the job. Head coach Mark Dan Antonio has done at Michigan State. To me, they did a good job at Cincinnati. I think a lot of the success that you've seen was rooted with that program. That's just my observation. I'm not an expert on that program, but I shouldn't say expert, but I'm not fully knowledgeable. I'm not discrediting anybody else, but I think they built a good foundation at Cincinnati. And I thought it was an excellent hire when they hired Mark. And I met Mark uh, first back in 1989. He was at Youngstown State as an assistant. And, uh, you know, I followed his career from afar. He's done a tremendous job everywhere he's been. And I think when, when he went to Michigan State, they, you know, basically that whole staff went intact. So there was great cohesiveness, continuity. They, they had a uh, staff in place. Unlike, you know, when I came here, you know, we had guys coming from all different directions. We had a, you know, create our own playbooks and all those types of things, but they had all that in place. So I think, I think you know, what you've seen is a staff that's uh, 
cohesive, they're very knowledgeable, they're very good. And, and just take that philosophy to East Lansing, and then they've recruited well, they coach well, and you know what, what's happened is, to me, a, a predictable outcome. So, uh, you know, he's done a tremendous job, and he's doing a great job this year. You know, the staff's done a great job, too. I mean, you talk about us losing Norm, uh, they lost a the head coach, which in our case would probably be an advantage, you know, if it went that way. Norm stayed and they got me out of here, but... Uh, you know, I, I was so impressed uh, during the bye week. I can't remember who they played. It was Michigan, right? I watched that. It was one of the few games I've watched this year. Boy, they, they just operated really well. And he's up in the press box. That was his first game back, I believe. So, you know, when you have a staff like that, I think that's, you know, when they do things like that, that speaks well to the entire staff and just the stability of the program. They've, they've built it with a good foundation under their, underneath them. And that's, uh, you know, that's going to make them tough, not only this year, but in the years to come. And Kirk was asked about his ability to get his teams to move beyond tough losses and the extent to which they might focus on the bigger picture going into the game against the Spartans. To me, it's still too early to talk about the big picture. I think, you know, it just, uh, it was last week, two weeks ago, and everybody's dying too, but really it's 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 October. What's important right now is we play well this week. Uh, you know, if, if you're going to have a good team, a successful team, you have to get over disappointment. That's just, that's part of the deal. We were there last year. We've been there every year. We've, we haven't gone through a season undefeated. You know, unless you can do that, then that's part of the, part of the ter- terrain that you have to deal with. And if you can't deal with it, you're not going to be successful. So, you know, that's a challenge ahead of us, and we'll we'll regroup and do our best this week. Michigan State head coach Mark D'Antonio is now back on the sidelines after suffering a mild heart attack following the win over Notre Dame earlier this season. D'Antonio was asked what lessons his team has learned from the last three games against Iowa and why these games seem so close. Well, you know, when you look at when you look at the last three games versus Iowa, um, as you said, they're extremely close, a double overtime, a fourth and one where we stopped when they were driving, and then last year when they were able to get it in at the end. So um, but what we've talked about is, you know, same old thing. You know the margin between winning and losing is is very very small. Um, the thing that that uh, was important is that we understand that we've competed to that level three times and we've come up one win, two losses. But uh, you know it's in us that that we'll play well versus Iowa. And I think right now uh, you know we have a little bit of an edge to us as a football team. You know we're a confident football team and then we're enthusiastic as well. And uh, we'll we'll uh, we'll prepare ourselves to go over and play well. D'Antonio talks about his young players on defense and their solid play so far this year. I think we have some young players, Hoover and Chris Norman and uh, Duquez Denard, and uh, you know even Johnny Adams didn't play last year, so he's he's played as a true freshman, but you know he's his second year as a, as a starter uh, after you know we registered him last year. You've got some young players like Dan France playing in there and. Uh, playing like Treadwell is only a sophomore, and you know, defensive ends. Corey Freeman's playing and and looking pretty good. And then, uh, but we have a blend of young and old. And you know, we sort of knew that as we played our younger players, that you know, the more experience that they got, the better that they would be towards the end of this first season. You know, they're not young players anymore because we played eight games. Their ex- expectations are higher. Um, they're player playing at a higher um, uh, quality of play, and uh, you know, that goes with experience. And uh, the more experience you have, the more success you have, the more confident you become. Playing very well. We're using a lot of players, so we're staying fresh. And, uh, you know, right now, uh, I say those guys are, are, are very important to our success, our younger players. And then you blend in with some of our older defensive players like Greg Jones and, and uh, Eric Gordon and Marcus Hyde and playing very well as well. And I think Trenton Robinson's, you know, he's a junior playing very well. And 
Montreal Worthies in the second year playing as well. So uh, we've got some guys, but uh, you know we need to be prepared for Iowa. D'Antonio was asked what the major factors are for MSU's success in 2010. Number one, I think we've got great leadership at the ground level, which is the player level. Guys like Kirk Cousins and Greg Jones and Eric Gordon and Joel Foreman, I can name a bunch of them. Uh, they've been here in the program now for four years, and there's a ripple effect that permeates down through our coaching staff and everybody involved, from the trainers to managers to the strength and into our players. There's a ripple effect that, that has occurred where we're confident and we've got an edge to us. I think that's one thing. The second thing is we've been at this for quite some time. You know, we experienced a, a, a difficult season last year, a lot of close losses, some injuries and incident. Um, you know, and I think that adversity brings people together. I knew in February, I felt like, didn't know how many games we'd win, but I felt like we had a special group of young people, you know, in winter workouts and that's carried us through. And the third thing would be, uh, you know, the more you're successful, the more confident you become and uh, the more enthusiastic you become. And uh, we want to have fun and we've had fun with our games. We've got ourselves emotionally up for every game uh, because we're looking forward to it. We're trying to have fun with this experience and not, not put pressure on ourselves here, you know, um, just look for the next challenge. And I think there's something to that. You know, our guys need to play loose. They need to play and expect to win and they need to play confident. You know, that's half of it, at least half of it, maybe more. Michigan State did not leave the state of Michigan to play a game this season until last Saturday's contest at Northwestern. D'Antonio was asked about that and how much the schedule has been working in his team's favor. Well, the schedule certainly is, is, is worked in our favor in that regard uh, because we've the games that we have traveled with at, in away games, we've had a, a great number of Spartans there. You know, even in Chicago last week, probably, I don't know, 15,000. You know, certainly at Michigan, we had a, a group and, and then down at Florida Atlantic, you know, in the, um, the Dome. So this will be our first time going into a, uh, you know, a, a stadium that it's going to be, you know, 95% or more, you know, Iowa. And so it'll be an experience for us. It'll be, a, you know, and, you know, we need to prepare ourselves to play in that environment. But, you know, we've done it before. We've played well before on away games. And, uh, you know, I think you track our last our away games. You know, we're pretty, we've been pretty good. So uh, confidence is there to play well away from home. And um, like I said, we've got good leadership and our guys expect to make plays. So we'll be ready. D'Antonio has talked a lot recently about how his team has an edge this season. He was asked what that means. I think we, it, when I say a bit of an edge, we prepare hard during the week. We get along very well with each other as people in the locker room. We're expecting to win. And, uh, you know, we've made plays at the end of the game to win. And you really look at what we've been able to do. Down the stretch, we've won games. And you know, that gives a, that's a, gives the team confidence. We've come back in the second half against Northwestern, gives the team confidence. And, you, you know, you can continue to build that confidence factor. And I think that's what your edge is. That's your edge. Your leadership's your edge. Um, your enthusiasm's your edge. But all the positive intangibles that can go along with the person become what I believe is your edge. Robinson again, touchdown Iowa. He ran right through the tackle of Jay Belay. And Belay had a chance to stop him, Belay rather, on the uh, on the goal line, had a chance to stop him. But he just lowered his pads and ran right through the tackle. Mike Meyer for the extra point. And it is no good. Looked like J.J. Watt deflected it at the line of scrimmage. That's the first PAT missed by Meyer this year. He was 14 for 14.
We welcome back former Hawkeye and NFL star Marv Cook for his weekly stint on Hawkeye's Mike. Sean Patchett visits with Marv. Last Saturday, extremely disappointing, very exciting, probably the closest thing to a shootout that you might ever see in an Iowa-Wisconsin game. Yeah, there were more points than you think, but uh, but ultimately the game was kind of the way you thought it would be. It was a matter of who could run the ball most effectively. and and. Um, you know, you never thought it'd be who's, who had the ball last would be the team that would probably be the winner. But um, you know, a great college football game. Obviously, I would. You know, you could make a case that they gave it away. They just had five or six, you know, miscues um, um, that you can't make in Big Ten games. Uh, kind of an odd game in some respects. Only four punts combined for both teams and a lot of long, time-consuming drives and just a few possessions for each team. That's exactly right. I mean, I kind of expected that a little bit just because I knew both teams would run the ball effectively and, and be able to do some things offensively. But, you know, they, and, you know they're sound defenses, so they, they, they try to eliminate the big plays. So, you know, that's kind of what happened other than the, 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 the botched special teams plays and the, the, the fake punt by, Northwestern, or by Wisconsin. How does the team go about trying to recover from this kind of loss and what does a player have to do and what do players expect from their coaches in this situation? Well, I mean the thing is for Iowa is you still look up and you know Coach Ferentz is right and this is you know probably the best two-loss team in the country and um, you know you still could make a case we're probably one of the top 15 teams in the country. You know you, you, you look and say well if we if we don't do one of the six we still probably win you know if we don't get the field goal block we're still in overtime if we don't botch the snap and the hold i'm not even sure the snap was that bad you know if we don't botch that we still kick you know we kick a field goal we win and you know we jump off sides on a kickoff which forces us to kick again and then they get 40 more yards of field position on the next return i mean those are just things you can't do and win against a great football team as a former Hawkeye, how hard is it to watch a game like that one, the finish especially? Um, do you watch games now more as a fan or an analytically as a former player as a mixture of both? Uh, you know, I, I guess I've always been a student of the game, and so I've always loved the strategy uh, of football and, and how it all works and what the, you know, what the concepts are and what you're trying to do and how you're trying to create mismatches and things like that. And, and then, you know, clock management and all that stuff comes into it. Decisions as far as do you kick a, you know, do you punt, do you try a long field goal, those types of things. Uh, so I, I'm always watching it from that perspective, you, you know. So, I mean, I guess I don't know if I'm watching it as a coach or a player or a former player or as a fan, but, but I, I'm always in tune to those types of decisions. Uh, before we focus on some of the negatives, Iowa's offense played a really good game. It really did. I mean, uh, you know, Stanzi, I think, has just been incredible this this whole season. And, you know, the, some of the play calling was actually really, really good. The play action to McNutt in the back of the end zone was a great play call. Uh, you know, a lot of good stuff going on. So, you know, and that's that's the hard part is, is when you when you play that well, you think you should be getting a W, and, and we didn't. On the offensive line as well, uh, they're looking like they're really coming along now. The protection was phenomenal. I, I was kind of shocked that Wisconsin just kept rushing forward three. Uh, I thought they would try to bring some pressure, but you know when you got an experienced quarterback, if you bring pressure and you don't get to him, you got massive problems in the back end. But but uh, I thought the protection was incredible all day, and you know, and he, even the sack that happened late was kind of just the pocket collapsed a little bit, and he tried to get out and make a play and just got tripped up. So uh, I really wouldn't call that you know a true sack or a true breakdown. Uh, Iowa's defense continues to turn in big plays. But how do you explain what's happened in the last two weeks? Uh, certainly not what you would expect from one of the highly ranked defenses in the country. Well, I mean, 
you, you're, you know, you face two pretty good teams now. We're getting in the, in the you know, our, our number one ranking on defense was against Eastern Illinois and, and Iowa State and some other, you know, teams. And, and so, you know, statistics from that standpoint aren't always the best indicator of just how good it is. It, it's, a, it's a good defense, don't get me wrong. It's a great defense. I think we're really susceptible at linebacker right now. We're really thin there. You know, we got some young players playing. I think they're doing a good job. But, you know, we're just, you know, we're so used to having hammers in there. Uh, and they will be hammers eventually. But, you know, it's just, you know, I mean, it's we're facing better teams. Michigan was explosive, obviously, with Denard Robinson. And then you come in with uh, uh, John Clay in, in Wisconsin. And, uh, you know, it's not going to get any easier this week. But so, I mean, our defense is going to be challenged. But that, you just... You know, as a player, you want to be, have it, you know, be in a chance in a position to win a football game, and we've been in those positions. We just haven't come out on the right side of them. With all the focus on special teams problems, what would you do at this point if you were coaching them? you got to get your best players on the field. At this point, you're, you're, you're late enough in the season where everybody's in game condition, everybody's in pretty good shape, where you can f afford to keep some of those guys on the field during special teams. Uh, and, and force them to play. I mean, that, you know, trust me, I mean, they, they're the ones, you know, that, just, I mean, it's going to sound weird, but they've been in there getting slammed on. They're vested a little bit more than the other guys coming off the field. Not that everybody's not vested, but, I mean, you got to have your best athletes on the field at this point. And, you know, week one, week two, they're probably maybe not in good enough shape to be covering kicks and punts and playing, you know, all the snaps on offense or defense. But at this stage of, um, you know, the season, I think they are. I mean, you look at when, Chad Greenway was here. I mean, he was always doing that stuff and, and was a big factor for us. So that's what we got to be doing. Uh, a couple of the players, Claiborne included, have mentioned that it doesn't seem like everybody on the team is focusing on little things as much as they should in practice. Do you see that at all anywhere on the team? Yeah. I mean, fourth and you know, whatever. I mean, you got, one of the things you got to be, you got to expect the unexpected. You know, and the great players. Uh, react to that and they expect that stuff and then they take advantage of it you know I mean it would have just taken one guy to be spying you know just to keep back looking going doing his assignment but also just looking back and he makes the play and he tackles him and we got the ball in the 35 up six and the games you know we kick a field goal and the game's over you know and also the other thing is you know we with defense creates a turnover in the red zone and we get a field goal we don't get a touchdown and if we get a touchdown there we, we, we put them away right there so you know, not finishing, not doing the things we need to do to, to, to put a great team away is also a, a, de a detriment to what we're doing offensively. Uh, clock management has been a recurring issue for this coaching staff throughout the years. Uh, we saw it again last Saturday. Uh, the end of the 2005 Capital One Bowl comes to mind. Uh, lots of wasted timeouts because the play calls often come in too late. Why does this continue to be a problem? Uh, if you were the head coach, would you go about trying to address this? I, I, you know, the, the, I don't, I don't know the particulars of what happened at the end of the game, other than it looked like they were ready to do it. it looked like they knew what they were going to do. Uh, in fact, I was, you know, actually listening to the, the radio, the TV broadcast later, and and they went from being the most well-coached team to being, oh my God, what just happened? Because they they were in a position after the first down, the clock stops, of executing the the, the quarterback sneak. To being right on the line with every, you know, everybody right where they needed to be. You didn't have receivers downfield; they had to run back. They could have literally got up, wait for the change to move. You know, as soon as the, the official blows the whistle and you snap it, you spike it. You, you, you know, you go from 14 seconds to 12 seconds, 11 seconds maybe. But then you still can then 
you know, in, in Wisconsin was rolling the corners up, obviously, on the outside. They didn't want to give up an out route for eight yards and let them get in field position. So, but at 11 seconds, you still can run a slant, you can run a curl, you know, you can run a, a dig uh, and still have time to get down and call timeout. And, uh, I mean, that's just, you know, brutal. I mean, the brutal that we lost that. And, you know, we got the sack that we had to burn a timeout after the sack, which is what you don't want to do either. You, gotta th you know, that's one, you got to throw the ball away there too. But, but still to have one timeout left and to, to mismanagement like that was a difficult thing. But, you know, like I said, you, it might have been a situation where they didn't want Wisconsin to get reset on defense and they felt like if, you know, maybe they could create a little confusion and then run a play and, and, and uh, get it accomplished. I don't know. Assuming that Iowa, like most team, constantly practices two-minute drills and with a senior, experienced quarterback in Stanzi, uh, going with the no-huddle offense, why wouldn't you let him call the plays in those situations instead of taking the time for a play to call coming from the sideline? That's a good question, and I don't know. I mean, that's, I, I don't know the protocol. I don't know if they, they allow him the flexibility to be able to make calls like that during the two-minute offense, or if, if some of them are his and some of them are, are Coach O'Keefe's or if they're all coach will keep. I don't know the protocol there. You know, that is a situation sometimes where you have a core group of 10 or 12 calls that you can go with during the two minute mode. You know, I mean, obviously that would have, you know, it looked like I said, I mean, they were ready to spike it. Stanzi was ready to spike it, but he was waiting for some clarification from the sideline, which never really came, so. In the third quarter, the Hawks lost a first down spot on the field after a booth review. The play happened directly in front of Ken O'Keefe, obviously a bad spot, ultimately forced them to punt. Uh, shouldn't there be an awareness in the booth, if not on the field, of the risk of having a play like that overturned? And whose responsibility is that? As a coach, wouldn't you always have a standard signal on a play to you know, run a hurry up? Yeah, I think that's another good question. And I'm not sure what the protocol is. I think the protocol may be, the protocol may be to you know, it's it's an, it's a booth review, and I think if they don't know for sure, they may stop the play anyway. Even if we do hurry up, you know what I'm saying? It seems to me like whether they're back in the huddle and they walk up the line of scrimmage, then they stop the play, or they're on the line of scrimmage getting ready to snap it, then the the booth stops the, the the play. You know, versus we're in pros, the coach has to make the call, throw the f red flag out there. You know, he may not have a chance to look up and see the video. I think this is a Big Ten official sits up there and he's making the review. I don't know. That's another good question. You're, you're, you guys got me stumped today. Under Kirk, the Hawks have gone through streaks of winning and losing close games. Last Saturday was Iowa's fourth straight loss in a game decided by a touchdown or less. But before that, they had won six straight in those kind of close games. Why do you think those kind of streaks occur as opposed to more evening out? We're, we're good. When we play inferior teams, we, we normally will win most of those games now. We put ourselves in a position where we, we're going to win games we should win. You know, and we're going to win some games that maybe we shouldn't win just because we're a really good football team. You know, like I said, I mean, I, I think the one thing that we, we've been lacking is we don't paste anybody. You know what I'm saying? That sounds bad. But Oklahoma will hang 70 on somebody. You know, I mean, some of these other schools, Wisconsin will hang 65 on an on on inferior, inferior team. Uh, we don't do that. I don't know if we're not built for it or what the deal is, but but that type of you know faster pace or you know explosive style of offense, you know, like I said, I mean, if we after the pick, if we score a touchdown there, it's over with our defense. It's over, and we win. You know, we don't have to worry about anything that happened after that. 
you know, the, the Northwestern games and, you know, the Purdue game. I mean, we just, they hang around, hang around. There's enough good athletes on the football field where one play, if, one, if, you, if you leave a game and one play can beat you, every once in a while it's going to happen. Every once in a while the ball's going to bounce the wrong way and you're going to get beat. Uh, and, and until we learn to just finish people and put them away and, and, and you know, get up 30 and then we won't have to worry about some of those closer games. But, but we are a great football team. I have, you know, Kirk, Coach Ferentz and the staff have done a good job of getting the right student athletes on here and put them in a position to be successful in the football field for the most part. Um, you know, like I said, we're, we're in a position now where we're just, they're, uh, they're making mistakes that are costing them right now. Turning to the Michigan State game, this is a title el elimination game for Iowa. Ferentz insists they only play one week, uh, they don't look ahead. Well, realistically, doesn't this have to be in everyone's mind as they prepare for this game? Yes, I mean, because I think I think the focus after Arizona was no, let's go win a Rose Bowl. You know, let's go let's go win a Big Ten championship. And you know, the the greatest thing about a loss like Wisconsin is is if you have a game like Michigan State right behind it. You know, you got a top five or six team coming in. I mean, if you can't refocus and lock in and get ready to go again, then, then there's something wrong with you. You know, I mean, because all it takes is a, is a great victory, you know, and a dominant victory Saturday, and everybody's going to be looking at you as a top 10, 15 type caliber team again. So. You know, I mean, the challenges are right there in front of them. Uh, you're right. I think the Iowa still, for the most part, can almost control their destiny to some extent. I mean, you know, they can be co-Big Ten champs if they went out. You know, you're not sure how the Rules Bowl thing plays out from there. But, um, but you know, co-Big Ten champs, um, they don't give you half a ring, so you don't have to share it with anybody. They still give you a Big Ten championship ring when you're co-Big Ten champs. Uh, both teams, again this week, have similar offensive and defensive schemes. Uh, they know what to expect from each other. What should we see? Well, it will be a, we'll, it'll be a circled game for Michigan State after what we did up there last year. I mean, they're going to be highly motivated. Uh, they'll know the challenges that they have against our team. And, um, you know, I think they've, they've got some stuff going on right now. They've definitely got a little mojo working for them with the outcome they had against Notre Dame and, and some of these other wins. But. Uh, you know, that being the case, you know, the, we've got some pretty evenly matched teams in the Big Ten. I think Ohio State, Wisconsin, Michigan State, and Iowa are pretty evenly matched. So, you know, it's going to be two good football teams getting after it again. It's going to come down to making plays. You know, it's going to come down to, you know, making the positive plays and eliminating the negative plays and, and making more of the, the, the good ones and less of the bad ones. There's a lot of conversation about how much alike Michigan State's 2010 season is like Iowa's last year. Mark D'Antonio has talked about how his team has an edge that is making the difference in these close games. What does that mean to you? Well, I think he's right. I think when he first came into Michigan State, they, were, they, they lacked a little discipline. Uh, you know, they, they would make penalties at the wrong time. They would do, you know, cr bad, they would do things that hurt them and, and cause them to lose football games. And now they're, they're not making those mistakes, and that's, that's helping them win football games. And, and uh, that's a direct credit to the co head coach and the way he's been. And, and obviously he's had some medical conditions this year, and it's obviously united that team to some extent. But they're good. I mean, they got talent. They've always, always had talent. And, you know, they, I think they got the right mix. They got an experienced quarterback. They got, you know, two or three really good running backs. They run the ball effectively. They got really good tight ends that can block and, and catch. And, and um, you know, so offensively, they're going to pose our defense a good challenge. And then defensively, they're solid. You know, I mean, they're they're pretty darn good. Uh, but you know, I still think if Iowa just takes care of their business, we, we've got really good, skilled guys right now, and, and they're tough to guard. I mean, DJK and McNutt and and Reisner and, and Stanzi and Robinson and those guys. I mean, it's a good group of guys. And 
so we're, we're hard to defend. So I mean, it's a, it's an interesting matchup. It's a, it's somewhat similar to Wisconsin. I do think Michigan State can throw the ball a little bit better. I think their backs are a little bit more explosive than Wisconsin backs, especially with, with the one being out. I, I, it's going to be a great football game. You know, if it's there, how quickly will you be able to tell if the Hawks have a hangover from last week? You'll know, I think, fairly quickly. I mean, it, you, I think you'll know within two possessions offensively and two possessions defensively, you know, where we're at. You know, I, I don't see it happen. I, I, I truly don't. I think we're, we'll be ready physically and mentally. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's a top, you know, what are they, five, six, five? You know, I mean, it's, it's a top, top five team coming into Kinnick Stadium, you know, and, and you don't get many opportunities like that to, to face that high of a ranked team and have the ability to knock them off. Uh, player to watch on each team? For us, I'm going to say Robinson. I think he's the guy. I think when he goes, we go. And, uh, uh, you know, I think for Michigan State, it's got to be one of the running backs. The, the big, is it the big back at Baker? Um, I can't his name. Uh, the, the big back is, I think, uh, the guy we really got to pay attention to and, and, and stop. And, and, and then, like I said, I mean, and then ultimately it's the team then getting third and shorts, third and one, third and two, and third and three. The team that can do that consistently is going to be the team that wins this game. Uh, final score prediction? I think the Hawks are going to win. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, 23 to 17. All right. And uh, before we finish, last weekend after the show we were done recording, we talked a little bit about the environment at Kinnick Stadium and you know fans' influence on a game. Can you reflect on that a little bit? It's huge. I mean, and we, you know, we talked about it a little bit before here. I mean, it, it might have been the loudest I've heard it. I mean, Saturday at times and, and just I mean it's it's amazing it can have a huge impact and I mean imagine trying to block Adrian Claiborne when you can't hear the snap count so you have to look in and see the ball when it's snapped and then try to go find him again if he's shifting around and moving around I mean it's very very difficult for an offense uh, to, to manage in that type of atmosphere you know and especially if a team's passing a lot uh, and you know you're trying to pass that and that's more difficult than run block and I think that's where Wisconsin was able to overcome a lot of that was just they were coming downhill running the football uh, where if you got to try to get back and get set up in a pass protection it's a lot more difficult when the crowd noise is there but uh, it's huge I mean it's 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 got to be one of the top five stadiums in the country uh, as far as home field advantage in my opinion all right any other thoughts that's it just looking forward to another great football game hey is this heaven no. It's Iowa. Reisner, the tight end. Motion and then reset. And he is open. In the flat. Touchdown, Iowa. Johnson Kulianos was not the intended receiver, but he was the intended picker and did a great job of picking off the defender on the inside, which allowed that throw to the flat for six. Officially a three-yard touchdown pass to the tight end, Reisner. Hello, good evening, and welcome to the middle of the film. In the Big Ten Notebook this week, the conference continues to lead all major conferences with three of the top 11 teams in the BCS rankings, plus Iowa coming in at number 18. The top three are Michigan State, Wisconsin, and Ohio State. Those four teams are also ranked in all three major polls, with Michigan State ranked the highest at number five. Michigan also comes in 25th in the coaches' poll. The Spartans also remain one of only seven undefeated FBS teams and one of only three sitting at 8-0. This is the best start for 
Michigan State since 1966, a year MSU won both the Big Ten and national titles. This also marks the fifth straight season a Big Ten team has jumped out to at least an 8-0 start. Last year, it was the Hawkeyes. The Big Ten continues to have some of the nation's best quarterbacks and best passing performances. Northwestern's Dan Persa, Scott Tolzien, and Ricky Stanzi are all on pace to break the Big Ten pass completion record set by Wisconsin's Daryl Bevel in 1993 when he completed nearly 68% of his passes. And Michigan State's Kirk Cousins is just barely off that pace. Minnesota's Adam Weber became only the fifth QB in conference history to throw for more than 10,000 yards in his career. The others were Purdue's Drew Brees and Curtis Painter, Northwestern's Brett Bazinet, and Iowa's Chuck Long. One other note, Big Ten administrators are apparently struggling in their attempt to come up with names for the two new conference divisions. They are working under a timetable articulated by Commissioner Jim Delaney, who wants the names unveiled by early to mid-December. There appear to be no obvious choices and no good suggestions so far, especially since the conference made a non-geographical decision. I'm not sure why they should be hung up on not calling them East and West, even if it doesn't quite reflect reality. If they can still call themselves the Big Ten with 12 teams, why not the East and West divisions? Still the simplest idea. Stanzi trying to answer. The man is wide open. Caught! Darrell Johnson Pugliano's touchdown in the lead for Iowa. It all started with the protection, Sean. It's been the story all game long. This offensive line has given him all kinds of time, and it was six quick. Darrell Johnson Pugliano, a 45-yard touchdown reception. Iowa has the lead. Time now for our Reporters Roundtable with Pat Hardy and Rob Howe. You can read Pat's articles and columns in the Iowa City Press Citizen and on Hawk Central. You can check out Rob's features at HawkeyeInsider.com. Sean Patchett talks with Pat and Rob about last week's game and this Saturday's contest. Huge game at Kinnick Stadium last Saturday. We'll get to the mistakes and other issues later. But who would have thought that two mirror image teams like Iowa-Wisconsin, both with very good defenses, would put a combined 61 points on the board and there would only be a combined four punts during the game? Yeah, I wouldn't have predicted it because I think I predicted 24-16 to 16 last week on this podcast. You know, that's the way it went. And it wasn't really a result of a lot of turnovers or even though there were special teams miscues, there weren't a lot of big returns and things like that. It was They were long marches up and down the field and that's the way things turn out sometimes. I obviously both teams were able to do what they do well on offense and I would not want to be in practice for the defensive players this week at either program. I think the Iowa defense was the one unit of all the units that didn't live up to the hype. I mean if it's as great as everyone says it is to me it allowed way too many long methodical time-consuming drives. That opening drive even though it resulted only in a field goal took eight minutes off the clock. The first quarter was more than half over before Iowa even got its offense on the field and I think that set the tone. The Wisconsin line just started asserting itself and that never really changed even though they did not get 400 yards total offense or I don't think did they even have much over 100 yards rushing it just sure seemed like they were controlling the line of scrimmage and Tolzien had all day to throw and it was just I don't know I just think the Iowa defense struggled a little bit more than I thought it would I mean I had them winning 20 to 17 so obviously I know it's often hard to sense in the press box but the atmosphere in the stands was incredibly electric uh, certainly one of the most exciting and riveting games in recent memory yeah I heard that from people after the game that said it was one of the loudest they've ever heard Kinnick um, unfortunately for those in the press box we have no idea that that's going on we can't hear anything and if it's not going to be loud and live alive for that game it never will be I mean this was the 
perfect scenario. Two top 15 teams, former Iowa player coaching a border rival. Just a great situation, unfortunately, just for the fans who came there to provide that atmosphere. Although there were a few more Wisconsin fans. I think there were more than 5,000 Wisconsin fans. I think a few Iowa fans made some money and sold some tickets because there was more spatterings of red throughout there than I'd seen in a while. And But it was still no. It was a great crowd, but that's, that's come to be the norm at Kinnick now. How do you explain this many mistakes, especially on special teams, this far into the season? Well, if we're just looking at special teams, you know, Kirk talked about this yesterday. Uh, they've had some injuries. They're playing a lot of freshmen, true freshmen, especially on kick coverage. And it's just one of those things. You know, they've had these issues in the past, 2002, 2005, where they've had to put guys like Bob Sanders and Dallas Clark, who had already established themselves as, as starters on the field, back on special teams because they've been ineffective but it's a mental thing I don't know you know I, I heard Christian Ballard and Adam Robinson both allude to this yesterday that maybe guys and, and Claiborne alluded to this on Saturday that maybe guys aren't practicing as hard as they need to or focusing on the little things in practice and that's one of those things where we've seen in the past 2006 2007 where after they've had good success you know January bowls big wins where sometimes that complacency can set in and we'll find out going forward especially this week if, if that's if it's another case where Kirk and his coaching staff have you know have to rattle some cages and get people their focus back on what needs to be done at Iowa to win football games I think it also showed I think the youth thing that Rob said is key because I mean poor Don Shumpert he was the one who jumped off sides. He was part of the front line there that kind of got burdened on that punt return. But I thought, it, or on the fake punt, I should say, I thought it was interesting though. Kirk went out of his way to say that Don Shumpert's going to be back out there, and I think they like this kid. I think he made an aggressive mistake on the offsides. Then he was hesitant after that. But the thing that me that keeps screaming out about this team is I don't think they know what their kicking game is at all. They feel partly because they haven't had to do it much, and that doesn't just mean Mike Meyer. That means the snapper, the holder. To me, everything right now is the jury's out because. How many field goals have they cooked? Is it five? Have they attempted? Is he three of five? I've lost track. Something like that. I mean, yeah. they've taken like five. They've probably kicked fewer field goals than any team in the country for reasons that just that's just the way it's worked out. So I think what happened Saturday was one of those got muffed by a high snap just because they haven't done it much. And then you got, they've had two PATs blocked. Blocked, and, and that's just, just issues up front. I don't know if it's the same. Well, I watched the replay of the one the other day on Watt. Vanderbilt, he tried to chop. And it didn't, the, he walked right over. He missed. Yeah. Yeah, they just and miss sometimes physically. That's a veteran guy. That's a veteran guy who just physically got beat on that one given play. Had they ended up winning, had they ended up winning 30 to 24, the special teams thing would have been a major issue, but it wouldn't be just this big dagger in the heart of everybody. But the defense couldn't make that last stand. And to me, I still think that is the most telling thing about that game is this defense twice now against Arizona and now against Wisconsin has had a chance to make a late game stand. Once to one to push a game into overtime, the other to win it. Haven't able to do it to me I think nobody nobody at Iowa will will probably approach this subject but to have five true freshmen and then a redshirt freshman in Shane DeBona on your kickoff coverage that's too many to me that says there are sophomores and juniors or guys that aren't regular players that haven't advanced enough or earned enough trust to be on those special teams and climb you look at a guy like Tyler Nielsen that's what all he did until this year and that's how a lot of guys work their way up into into regular roles and for whatever reason, Kirk does not have confidence in those guys. 
and he's using guys that have been on campus for two months. And I will say they do miss Bruce Davis on special yeah. teams. And he was somebody they had put him back Tarp. on there. They miss Tarp. They do miss some guys, but still, you, know, I, you just kind of figured the program was beyond these types of issues. We focus so much on Norm Parker's absence and the impact, if any, that's had on the defense. It appears that assistants Phil Parker and Darrell Wilson have been largely responsible for running the D. Given the fact that Wilson is also the special teams coach, is it possible that Parker's absence may be creating issues for Wilson in trying to coach the special teams? I will just say that having Norm not there obviously doesn't help. It obviously gives more responsibility for the coaches. Maybe there is, maybe Darrell Wilson is being stretched in two different directions more than he normally is, having to focus. But I still say that only goes to a certain that only goes to a certain – I mean, coaching was not the reason Don Shumpert jumped off sides. Don Shumpert jumped off sides because he's inexperienced and was excited. Some of the stuff – now, coaching, I do think the fake punt, but that's from the head coach on down. They all got – I don't think having Norm there on that – I don't think Norm would have been the only one yelling fake punt, fake punt. I just I, – I mean, I, I don't think it helps, but I, I don't think you want to keep using Norm as an excuse because then it can really become dangerous. Unless the Herb also coaches special teams. Yeah. He's the running backs coach. So, I don't know. I, I think I'd put more credence into that idea if Norm had been on the sidelines and been right in, you know, had his head in practice and on the field the last few years. But since he started to, you know, battle this diabetes thing, he's been in a golf cart. He's missed, missed action before, missed time before, and we haven't had these issues. So, I think it's... It, that may contribute to it, like Pat said, a little bit, but I think it goes well beyond that. And if you watch Norm when he's healthy, he's not an in-your-face coach who's real demonstrative, demonstrative and emotional on the sideline. He's pretty to himself. He doesn't say a lot. And so it's, I don't think – I just think that it's reasons beyond that. I think he, his absence obviously complicates matters. That's how I would describe it. And LeVar Woods has kind of been put into that mix as, as a coach. Yeah. He made his – living when he was in the NFL as a, as a special teams guy. I'm sure he's contributing to, to what they're doing there as well. I, You know, you, you want to have your defensive coordinator around, and, and maybe that does lessen the pressure on some of these other assistants, but I don't think that's enough to uh, lay the blame solely at that. Uh, clock management problems have been a recurring theme for this coaching staff over the years, sometimes more glaring than others, like last Saturday's game at the end. Uh, you have the finish of the 2005 Capital One Bowl. Uh, either O'Keefe or friends didn't know the rules are playing, blew, the, blew it, but the miracle catch to win the game covered that up. And hardly a game goes by, or even half goes by, where the play call gets in so late that the Hawks have to waste a timeout, or it gets in late enough that the quarterback doesn't have time to change the call at the line. Uh, can we talk generally about those issues on a whole and what the root problems might be for that? A lot of these questions, I think, have come off of my message board. Uh, or, or they're just common questions because it seems like these are the discussions that we've had. You know, last year at Michigan State, I think they managed the clock pretty well. I was well thinking the, the game. I think when a, a loss comes like this where it's so obvious at the end of the game that things should have been do, done differently, it magnifies the situation. I'm sure in the, what is this, the 12th or 13th year this coaching staff's been here, there have been times where they've really managed the clock well at the end of a half 
you know, in certain situations, uh, you know, with timeouts remaining where they've had to do different things to manage the clock. I, I agree. I've seen, you know, the, sl <laughs> the Drew Tate error seems like that was when plays were being sent in <laughs> slowly from the sideline because he let you know that that was happening. It's just the way they're built. This coaching staff has strengths and weaknesses like every other coaching staff. That time management just seems to be one that sticks in people's craw. If it's the worst thing they do, you know, maybe it costs them some games here and there. But I also, also think they're strong enough in other areas to, uh, to give themselves a pass on maybe when some of these things do pop up. And I think the fact that you know, Keefe has been accused of being too conservative throughout his stay as Kirk's offensive coordinator. To me, kind of fuels the clock management stuff, too. There are already frustrations resulting from that. And then you combine with the fact that sometimes in those last minutes, they do seem to freeze a little bit. And they do seem to sort of, they don't sometimes play with a sense of urgency. And I think people kind of just all kind of throw it all together like, oh, they're just so built on what they're doing. They're so stubborn in what they do. They're not even going to change when the clock's melting down. But I still say the thing in that last drive that hurt them even more than the timeout was Stanzi taking an 11-yard sack. I, I mean, that just, to me, that's twice now he's done that. In fairness, he has admitted that both those times were unacceptable. You just would like to think your fifth-year senior quarterback would be beyond that, but you'd also like to think that your 12-year staff would be beyond having clock management in such a big game. But they had a bad day at the office Saturday, like Rob said. Sometimes you just don't always perform. And I think Kirk pretty much admitted that they blew it. They just pretty much, and he blew it. It all falls on him. They just didn't do it right. I mean, we all make mistakes. I mean, I put mistakes in my stories all the time that just Kirk, Brett Bielema had a better day at the office than Kirk did Saturday. I think Kirk would admit that probably not to a room full of reporters, but I think if he, I mean, he got the self-deprecation thing going out big time yesterday, <laughs> you know, and he played it and he, he got a little defensive and his answers were short and then he made remarks about, well, maybe if we didn't have me around, we'd be better and stuff like that. But I think he knows that they just didn't get the job done Saturday. The, the fake punt obviously was a huge issue in that game. But the reason that Bielema had to use, do, um, execute a fake punt there is because he burned two timeouts earlier in that quarter. So if they, if Iowa figures it out that it's going to be a fake punt and stops that, Bielema's kind of screwed because he's got one timeout left and he's trying to come back. So <laughs> both sides were making mistakes. Bielema just out-executed and out-thought them you know, at the crucial times. Bielema loses credit. that game. That's three in a row against his alma mater. They're, they're basically out of the Big Ten race, two games behind at that stage. A lot was just riding on that thing, and things worked out better for Brett. A couple of other issues that haven't really been discussed. First, in the third quarter, on the third down play that was literally run right in front of O'Keefe, uh, Brent Morse got a very generous spot, ultimately overturned on replay. Why wouldn't either the coaches in the booth being Ken's ear or Ken himself know to get Stanzi to run a quick play to prevent time for the booth to buzz down or for Bielema to call a timeout. I think it all falls back on what I was just, they're just, that's just the kind of the way they operate. They're so deliberate and methodical in everything they do sometimes. It's almost like they're robots. And I think, I mean, we were all saying in the press box, you better get this playoff. You better get this playoff. <laughs> some people on the sidelines had to have been saying that. And for some reason, the play just didn't get in there. Ricky didn't get lined up. There's times where Stanzi seems kind of methodical and deliberate back there where he's just not real quick. Whereas Drew Tate was always like ready to crouch down and get behind center and take a quick snap. Ricky sometimes seems like he's just, eh, you know, we'll get to to it we'll get to it when we can and yeah that was one to me that was a big play because that cost them they ended up having a punt and I think Wisconsin went down and drove and scored on the next possession if I'm not mistaken it just it feeds into 
know, maybe maybe more of how they're built. It's their personalities. When they get into those harried situations where they need to make a quick decision, like Pat said, their personalities may just not they may just not be wired to. Okay, we got to hurry up. We got to do this right now, and it doesn't work out that way. And I, I, I mean, through the years, we've seen that as a pattern that maybe they don't maybe they don't think as well as some other coaches do on the fly. And you know, Kirk's one of his greatest things is the fact that he doesn't panic. But there are times where maybe not panic, but just getting a little excited and getting things going. And I think maybe there's times where I'd love to see Kirk turn on the sideline and say, let's get that play go. But you just never, it's almost like he's so detached from the play calling that's taking place. He doesn't want to, doesn't want to interfere and what have you. But yeah, I just think it's who they are and sometimes it burns them. But the other issue was offensive play calling immediately after Greenwood's interception late in the fourth quarter. You have the ball deep in Wisconsin territory. Touchdown pretty much puts the Badgers away. Uh, all the momentum's on Iowa's side. Their passing game had been shredding the secondary all day long. Yet they run an off-tackle play for no gain. Ultimately, they only get three points out of that. But they did try passing too, didn't they? Yeah, didn't I they think try they tried passing on the first two downs? I think that's just. Maybe I'm wrong. I, 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 I just I think know. that's nitpicking a little bit. I mean, had the plays worked, it would have been fine. But you, sometimes you got to give credit to the Wisconsin defense for making a stand. They made a stand there. I don't know. Had he thrown on three downs and thrown incompletions, people would have been ha- unhappy. Had he ran on all three, he tried to do both. It didn't work. You just got to give the credit. I don't think it's as much the play calling. What if he had ran a double reverse and Paul Cheney gets hit for a 10-yard loss? That's happened before, and people said, why be cons- why try to not be conservative then? I just think with the play calling, I just think that's being too nitpicky. Didn't they try a pass before Meyer, before they messed up that field goal attempt? I'm pretty Donahue, sure they did. I mean, they were down in the red zone on the other side during that series and they tried to throw it in the end zone on third down and I think then they, Donahue messed up the snap. Yeah, their unwillingness to throw is not why they lost Saturday. They were more than willing to throw. Uh, switching gears to look at the defense. The last two games now they have given up 59 points. Uh, in the past two games, 522 yards to Michigan, 347 yards to Wisconsin. Uh, you talked about the several long, time-consuming drives. Uh, yet the Hawks beat Michigan. They should have won against Wisconsin. Can you assess the play of the defense at this point and talk about what you, what you think is going on there? I think all of us are probably guilty to a certain extent of, of not realizing how much of a loss that the three guys that went to the NFL were Spivay and Eads and Anger. Um, also, in this cover two scheme, what they run, four-man rush, they don't blitz a lot. It's a pretty vanilla defense. It's real important that you either A, get a pass rush quick enough so your linebackers aren't in coverage on wide receivers for an extended period period of time, or you have really good guys like Anger Needs who are able to cover for a longer period of time. Nielsen's a young guy, first year starting. I think Tarpinian's built better than Troy Johnson or James Morris at this point to, be, to cover as a middle linebacker. Um, not making an injury excuse, but they just haven't had that combination. And then Micah Hyde at that cornerback spot has been a soft spot, and teams recognize that and throw his way. It's just, I think... I'm guilty of this as anybody. I think I may have overrated this defense. I was a little hesitant when people were talking earlier in the year when they were ranked as the number one defense in the country. I mean, we could see, even against Eastern Illinois, they had some pass plays on Micah Hyde that there were some areas on this defense that were question marks. And Michigan 
is is a heck of an offense, one of the better offenses in the country. And then Wisconsin, with that offensive line, they've played against two teams that are pretty good on offense. So it's a combination of Iowa having some holes on defense and the two teams they've played the last two weeks being pretty good on offense. And Mike, I, or, excuse me, Amari Spavet didn't necessarily shut down one half of the field, but he came pretty close to that. And if you remember last year, he had one of his best games against Wisconsin. He had a huge interception. They quit throwing his way. He had a really good game against Arizona, too. And I think it's just kind of a trickle-down effect to where if you've got one side of the defense that the offense thinks is suspect, they're going to attack that. And, and it has been. And like Rob said, I think they're just – I think there's only so much coaching can do. At some point, it comes down to a ball carrier getting through and then a linebacker having to make a tackle either in traffic or in space. And I think that's right now they're not getting as much – well, Pat Angers, there's a reason he made the Colts and he's starting for the Colts right now. Within, he's an NFL linebacker. Right now, they don't have – other than Jeremiah Hunter. Bruce Davis. Yeah, and they lost Bruce Davis, who was the backup. They're down to third-team linebackers. And Jeremiah Hunter right now, to me, is the only guy on that roster that even has any – it's too early to tell with guys like James Morris. But Tyler Nielsen, I maybe, but Troy Johnson's not an NFL well, linebacker. There's a reason Troy Johnson hasn't – he's a fifth-year senior and has only played sparingly. And there's a reason, yeah. And usually when it's somebody gets hurt – I mean, granted, the kid stepped in, did a great job against Minnesota last year. He's had some good moments this year, but – as Pat said, you're down to your third-team linebacker, your second-middle linebacker, your second-team middle linebacker now as a guy who Norm, as Norm yeah. would say, was riding the bus last year. Was riding the bus, yep. You know, and that that's that's a big deal. I, I'm still a little bit, I don't want to say disappointed, maybe that's not the right word, but I'm surprised that Iowa's defensive line hasn't performed better. Me too. That was the strength of, of this defense, that and the safeties coming into this year. And I'll say the safeties and the defensive line in my mind, have underperformed this year. Oh, and safety-wise, I would say Tyler Sash, to me, I'm not saying he's been bad this year, but he has not elevated his game. I mean, there were people worried about him going to the NFL after this season. I don't think right now he'd even get drafted if he left. I mean, he's been in the right place at the right time for a lot of interceptions, but he's been struggling this year, I think. And the other name, I mean, a lot of focus on Claiborne, and rightfully so, but... We haven't heard much from Broderick Menz this year. I mean, he's just been, I'm not saying he's going through the motions, but those long arms always had a knack for disrupting things, and we just haven't really seen him get into a flow this year. Uh, one bright spot last weekend was definitely the play of the offensive line uh, against a very good defense. They seem to be really gelling. Uh, in fact, Stansy Robinson, the receivers, uh, the whole offense played pretty well. Yeah, I'd agree. I, I, I think if you point to one area on this Iowa team this season that's probably uh, outperformed maybe expectations, it's been the offensive line. I think they were, you know, you're placing three, four starters going into this season. Again, guys that went on, uh, at least were in NFL camps, Bulaga, first-round pick. Um, and guys have stepped in and done well. I mean, you look at Nolan McMillan stepping in for Geddes when he got hurt. Now McMillan's dinged up a little bit. Geddes comes in last week and has played really well the last few weeks. Um, that's what makes this Iowa offense go. We knew what they had at skill positions. Obviously, there's been some some uh, um, injuries and other things that have happened at the running back position. But I think I, I think Iowa fans and the Iowa coaches knew what they had in McNutt and Stanzi. I think we could have predicted what Reisner was going to be able to do. It's been the development of this offensive line that's really given this offense some spark. I would agree. I think it's kind of ironic the way this season, I don't think most people would have been blaming the defense 
had they been told that Iowa was going to be 5-2 and two at this stage, I think they would have assumed it was the offense having letdowns and bogging down and not being able to run the ball. But, I mean, the offensive line was more than more than held its own last week. Very physical. And so you just got to tip your hat to Reese Morgan. I think he gets overshadowed a lot. I mean, Kirk does a lot, but Kirk's not down there every moment with those guys. Reese does a lot of that on his own. And right now, that to me has been the biggest surprise would be the offensive line. A quick note on dual-threat quarterbacks. You both had the chance to watch A.J. Derby play in high school, an electrifying runner as well as a very good passer. Do you think he could bring that kind of play to the Iowa offense next year or that Iowa would adjust its offense to take advantage of that kind of skill set? Ferentz indicated a couple weeks ago that they would. No, I don't. I I I, think they would adjust to that skill set. I think they they would adjust. I mean, they did it with Brad. But but he's not. I've seen him play. He's not going to be a guy who's juking Big Ten defense. He's 230 pounds, and when you get, he's growing into his body now. He's more Ben Roethlisberger than Brad Banks. Yeah, and I still well, in high school he was running over like five eight. Yeah, he would carry guys. He didn't make guys miss. He never outran guys. He carried guys. No he was just he was the biggest guy on the field carrying guys. That ain't gonna happen. I still say he's gonna be a linebacker at some point. I still don't think he'll stay at quarterback. And no, he is not the kind of dual threat quarterback that you're talking about. He's not Denard Robinson. He's not Dan Persa. He's not Nathan. Shieldhouse. He's nothing like those guys. I'd be, be very surprised if he were to somehow pass Vandenberg this spring. No way. Or Winky, for that matter. I just don't see it happen. I think he'll be a linebacker. If last week's game was big, this week's is do or die for Iowa in terms of holding out any hope for a Big Ten title. I like the word humongous. It's a good, there was a movie back in the 80s, humongous. I do remember that. <laughs> what about Fatso? <laughs> that, was, that was the 70s. Don DeLuise. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's a huge game. I'm number five in the country. You can you can cure a lot of ills if they're able to win this game and then win the next two games on the road, at, which are a big if at Indiana and, and Northwestern, and then go into that Ohio State game riding three wins. Um, it's a huge game. It's a huge week. But having said that, it's a huge challenge. It's a good Michigan State team. I, I think people were pushing the, the comparisons between Iowa last year at this time and Michigan State last, this year and undefeated and maybe flying under the radar. I think some of those comparisons are warranted, but I think both of those teams, Iowa last year, Michigan State this year, Michigan State last year, Iowa this year, very tiny, thin margin for error, so anything can happen. I'm not convinced. In fact, I would be surprised if Michigan State is one of the top five teams in the country this year. They've... They, they pulled it out uh, with trickery against a very average, no offense, Pat, Notre Dame team at home. And then last week, they needed heroics to win at Northwestern. Um, if Iowa plays well and eliminates the mistakes that have hurt it this year, certainly a winnable game. They're favored by seven points in Vegas, Iowa is. So that tells you all you need to know right there what the guys that, that make money off college football think about this matchup. And I'm convinced that Michigan State's not going to run the table, but I'm also convinced that they can beat everybody else yep. on their schedule. So this is I the game. I think Iowa can too. And I think Iowa can. This is the game where I think this is Michigan State's Ohio State. What this game is to Michigan State, what Ohio State was to Iowa last year in a lot of ways. Although I think winning in Ohio State's tougher than winning here. I know Iowa fans would kill me to hear me say that. 
that. But this is Michigan State's toughest game, and I do. I think Iowa's going to win this game unless Adam Robinson gets hurt. If Adam Robinson gets hurt, everything changes. Then it's over. I don't. I mean, because then I don't know. Would they? I. I, I don't know. There are other things that could happen. Yeah, there are other things, but I think that if Stanzi shows up. Yeah, if Kent Stanzi shows up, but if Adam Robinson goes down with an injury in the first quarter, then all of a sudden does Marcus Coker carry the ball 25 times? No, I don't think so. I think they change their offense out of necessity. Michigan State adjusts, starts loading up on Stanzi, and he might turn into Kent Stanzi. And I'm a little concerned too. Kirk was not overly. He didn't. He. he I, I don't think we know one way or the other because he's playing the cat and mouse game with D'Antonio. But when asked about Hunter, yeah. he was not. He was not committed to saying that Jeremiah is going to play this week. If you're looking at maybe Nielsen, maybe Morris in the middle, you move Troy Johnson or Tillerson or, or Johnson in the middle with Tillerson on the outside, that group of linebackers with a quarterback that's as, as precise as Kirk Cousins, that could be a long afternoon. And these are tough running backs they're going to be tackling too, all three of them. Uh, Ference has generally been able to get his teams over bitter losses. What do you anticipate in regard to this Saturday? Same. I mean, I don't think anything's going to change. I mean, Kirk pretty much said nothing's going to change. They're not. I liked it when he said they're not going to switch to a two-five or a five-two. They. They are what they are under him, and it's worked for the most part. And I think the main thing with Kirk, if you look back after seasons, you'll be like, wow, it's amazing how he stayed the course during that time when it would have been easy to do this or that. I don't think much is going to change. I just think they're going to try to play better. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, if as if they needed to get the attention of his players with the number five team in the, in the nation yeah. coming in, they know enough now. They looked at the film Sunday and saw what, how – they cost themselves a win against Wisconsin. If they go out and make those same mistakes against Michigan State and it costs them, then you know that it's something deep-seated and the season could be in jeopardy. Uh, most important players to watch for each team? Well, I'm always going to say Stanzi every week just because he's the quarterback. And defensively, I'm going to say whoever starts at middle linebacker for Iowa. I'm not sure who that's going to be. And then I'd also say whoever backs up Jeremiah Hunter if he doesn't play. I think there's because I think they're running. I think there's going to be a lot of tackles in between the defensive line and the secondary. A lot of tackles that could either be three-yard gains or if you don't tackle right, six or seven-yard gains. I think that's going to be a big part of the game right there. And then for Michigan State, Kirk Cousins, if he's if he has an off day and he misses open targets, that that could really help Iowa. But I'm going to say him and then. For their defense, I mean, you could pick so many people. Whoever guards Durrell, because I think Durrell is the one guy when Iowa needs to do something, he's been pretty productive. I think I read where he's got eight touchdowns in the last five games, something like that, as a receiver, which is unheard of. And he came into the season with seven touchdowns. Yeah, and he's double, and he's already more. He's got eight this year. So I think whoever's on Durrell, if they can kind of shut Durrell down a little bit, I think that would be huge. Yeah, and I, I'm going to say the linebacking core for Iowa in conjunction with defensive line getting pressure, as we talked about earlier, the, you know, um, the kid, the quarterback from Arizona, his name escapes Nick me. Tolles. Nick Tolles. Or Foles. Foles, Foles, Foles. Foles, Tolzian. Cousins. These are experienced quarterbacks that will not get rattled. And if you give them time and the linebackers can't stay in coverage, they can pick you apart going up and down the field and finding holes in that zone. And Cousins, uh, Chappelle next week, uh, Persa, the quarterbacks that they're facing, if, if Iowa's defense doesn't figure out how to get some pressure on the quarterback and, and take away some of those underneath things on their defense, it's 
these are quarterbacks that are going to cause them some problems. I would say Iowa offensively, it comes down to can Adam Robinson hold up against this physical defense and can the Iowa offensive line continue to do what they've been doing and open up some holes for him because I think Iowa's going to need to run the ball in this game. Michigan State will do some things in terms of blitzing and, and pressure that will force Iowa to be able to think on the fly, and that's going to take time, so that offensive line is going to have to be some time. Uh, final score predictions? I've got Iowa winning 23-20, to 20, but I don't feel good about it yet. But I wouldn't feel real good about Michigan State. When I think it's a complete toss-up. Yeah, I haven't thought about the score again. Coming, I need to do that. You have Iowa winning? This podcast. Yeah, I have Iowa winning by probably three to six points somewhere in there. I think it's going to be... What did we say last week? First team to 20 wins. Yeah. Actually, Iowa wasn't, wasn't Iowa the first team to 20? Yeah, or, yeah they, were the first, they were the first team to 30. <laughs> yeah, well, I think this week it's going to be in the, the winner will be in the 20s. That's what I, I think. I can see 27, 24, 24, 21, somewhere in that neighborhood. Any other thoughts? I just, I, it's, I'm, I, I'll say just from a message board standpoint, and I know Pat hears it from people around town, I'm surprised at how hard people t- are taking this Wisconsin loss and really not being able to get past it. Not- well, I think that just shows you how many people thought this team was going 12-0 and or 11-1. I don't think people even – I took a lot of crap for picking Iowa to go 9-3 and back in so June, July. Hater, delusional, idiot. I just think people bought into this too much. I mean, if you look at Iowa's last two bowl victories, they did not beat a good team either one, I don't think, at South Carolina or Georgia Tech. I think there's maybe some false hope created there. And I think people fail to take into account that sometimes you lose close games. I don't think this team's any worse in some ways than last year's team, but it just hasn't. I mean, had Marvin McNutt dropped that pass last year, they wouldn't have been in a BCS bowl game. That just shows you the margin. And right now they've crossed over the margin for error on the bad side. And I just think, like Rob said, I think it's just the devastation of people saying, wow, this ceiling's barely half over and they've already failed to meet my expectations. My advice to you, start drinking heavily. You better listen to him, Flounder. He's in pre-med. Three receivers now, and Robinson the lone back. They faked it to Robinson. Man, open! Touchdown, Marvin McNutt! Remember earlier when Wisconsin pounded the football, got down inside the five, went with play action for the score? Mirror image. Same design, same result. HawkeyesMike.com, just for you, the Iowa fan. All sports, all Hawks, all the time. www.HawkeyesMike.com. Call toll-free 866-74-HAWKS. Just a reminder that you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments on the Hawks. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Just call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Also, visit HawkeyesMike.com, go to the News and Events section, and check out the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, the latest Hawkeye and Big Ten videos, and team schedules. Check us out on Twitter and Facebook. And don't forget, you can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes. Also be sure to check out all of the Hawkeye stories, features, and blogs on Hawk Central, Hawkeye Insider, and in the Daily Iowa. Postgame show is brought to you by Christ, I can't find it. The hell with it.
Hawkeye's Mike Football Shows are brought to you in part by Prefens Botanicals Hand Sanitizer, the revolutionary antimicrobial hand sanitizer that is alcohol-free and lasts all day with a single application. Try the hand sanitizer the Iowa Hawkeyes use. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group, Wells Fargo Advisors Financial Network in Coralville, Iowa. Call 319-512-6261 or toll-free 800-883-0842. Marsh Cook, for all your investment needs. Eighteenth-ranked Iowa hosts number five and undefeated Michigan State in Kinnick Stadium Saturday afternoon, and for Iowa, it's a title elimination game. The Hawks win, and they're still in the hunt for the conference crown. Lose, and they need to focus on just becoming bowl eligible. There is no more margin for error. The Hawks come into this contest with a five and two record, and Michigan State at eight and zero reminds many observers of Iowa's team from a year ago. This is the forty-second game in this series, which Iowa leads 21-18-2, but these games are almost always close and very physical. Witness last year's contest and last-second win by Iowa in East Lansing. Part of the reason is that both teams continue to run similar offensive and defensive schemes, emphasizing a balanced run-pass approach on offense and an aggressive defense. The two schools are close statistically in many national rankings on both offense and defense. Kirk Ferentz is now 86-57 and 57 in his 12th year as Hawkeyes head coach. Mark D'Antonio is in his fourth year at Michigan State with a team record of 30-17. and 17. These two teams match up well. Both have outstanding quarterbacks, very good receivers, and solid running games. They also have very good offensive lines that have protected their quarterbacks and opened holes for the running backs. You have to wonder if the biggest difference right now isn't confidence. D'Antonio has talked all week about the edge his team has this season. It is playing well. It's winning close games. It's running a lot of successful trick plays at key times, and it has a great deal of confidence. What's Iowa's confidence level right now? Another key will certainly be which version of Iowa's defense shows up. The one that played very well through the first five games and was regarded as one of the best defensive squads in the nation, or the one that surrendered gobs of yards and points the last two weeks to Wisconsin and Michigan. It's getting tougher by the week, too, for the Hawks because injuries are beginning to take their toll at the linebacker positions. Meantime, the Spartans' defense has been solid all season. In every Big Ten game they've played this year, MSU has held their opponent's offense under their season average, and it has consistently shut down star offensive players. That leaves special teams. Michigan State has very good ones in every phase, and they effectively utilize trick plays when they need to. Iowa special teams have been on a roller coaster at best, and last weekend was certainly a low point. Things need to change fast for the Hawks to even have a chance in their remaining games. You can't be holding your breath literally on every single special team's play. Let's also hope last Saturday was an aberration in terms of coaching by the Ferentz staff. It's not often you see them outcoached and make multiple critical mistakes in a game, but that was the case last week. The coaches need to bounce back this Saturday too. Perhaps the most important factor this weekend will be I 
Iowa's psyche. How well they have recovered from the heartbreaking loss to rival Wisconsin. Ferentz coached teams have typically been very good at this, but last week was especially tough. For some strange reason, Iowa is favored by a surprising amount by the odds makers in Las Vegas. Let's hope they know what they're doing. If the Hawks win, they should feel pretty good about themselves as they go on the road the following two weeks to play Indiana and Northwestern before returning to Kinnick Stadium for another huge game against Ohio State. Win Saturday and then win out the rest of the regular season and the worst Iowa will do is tie for the Big Ten title. Lose and one of the most promising seasons in Iowa football history will truly be on the brink. Nothing is over until we decide it is. Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Hell no! German? Forget it, he's rolling. And it ain't over now. Scott Tolzien threw it up for grabs, and it is intercepted by Brett Greenwood. Tolzien had been making good decisions right up until that point. He thought he had Isaac Anderson in the back, but Brett Greenwood read the eyes of Tolzien flawlessly and makes the play. First turnover for either team in a back-and-forth game like this. Each team has led four times. One key mistake could be fatal. Our thanks again to ABC ESPN for the game highlights this week. Thanks to our regular contributors, Marv Cook, Pat Hardy, Rob Howe, Sean Patchett, and Rob Patchett. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast, that you'll come back for more, and that you'll participate. By phoning and making your own voice heard, call 866-74-HAWKS. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.